Hello and welcome to You Don't Know Lit. My name is Nick Argyris and this week I'm looking for the best listener recommended theme sudden sudden (laughs) sudden extreme traumatic event exclamation point lit heads off mic off mic nick has been just struggling with this wall-to-wall struggle for i don't know what it is sometimes the lit heads they send through theme recommendations and i don't really i want we want to like package them in a way that's really understandable but i think neck skip that we're just gonna say them exactly how they come in spelling errors at all so have fun with that lit heads to help me are two high school english teachers ian and joe hi nick i'm a high school english teacher uh my name is joe holshue (laughs) and i brought a book this week recommended by Eston about a sudden extreme traumatic event um and my sudden extreme event is a big one a gasp like company blows up, uh, which was a real thing. Apparently, uh, read all about it in the greatest thing since sliced bread by Don Robertson, 1965. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, hi there, Nick. Hi there, Joe. This week I'm uh, Dr. Ian Young and I brought a little book by North Dakota's own Chuck Klosterman. And uh, it's called downtown owl, like the bird, you know, and, um, th- this is a lit head recommendation by this guy, Eston. So thanks, Eston. Thanks, Eston. May your earlobes turn into assholes and shit on your shoulders. Hey, the plot doesn't fucking matter at all. This is what I think it's about. If you look closely <laughs> enough, every author was at some point a racist. Audiobooks don't count, right? All art is quite useless. <laughs> who, who, who told you that? Fun fact, that is how Joe laughs. How <laughs> 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 was my North Dakota? Was it okay? I try to distinguish North. it from the Wisconsin a little bit because Wisconsin a little more flat. Mm-hmm. I, I like the peakiness of it. Like, like it was a little more peaky. It was a little more like taut. It was a little tighter than the Wisconsin. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. It didn't luxuriate in the mm-hmm. O's <laughs> like we do in Wisconsin. <laughs> right. It's not like Joe. It was like Joe. 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 You got to pull it back. Also, also the, the THs become D instead mm. of there. It's dare. Hi, dare. Mm. It's really good. It's pretty up. Uh, it's pretty stereotypical. Hey, North Dakotans, if you're listening and we know you are. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I don't think people from North Dakota read books. There is a university there, but I only assume that's for the football program. <laughs> no. Okay. Well, <laughs> today we're ostracizing <laughs> North directly our audience. The <laughs> least populous state hey, in Lynn the heads. union. Hey, 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 hey. Could we... Could we like folks betting is getting a, to be a big thing in the NFL? <laughs> Heard about the that. National Football Heard League. Heard about that. Do you mm-hmm. think that people could like if if people were were betting on you don't know lit? Do you think we could get a cut of that action? Like people could bet whether or not you know bring a Hobbit fact or whether or uh, not yeah. Joe will tell yeah, a farm yeah. story I or this. like mm-hmm. the over under on how many wins Ian will eke out in a year, like that kind of thing. Or like you know, how long will it take them to actually start talking about the books? <laughs> like but i'm wondering i don't want to introduce this unless we get a cut because right i think that's how michael jordan got that secret suspension from the nba i think he was like in on the action right you think michael jordan for example i could tell a farm story every week in fact litheads i do tell a farm story every week just most of them get cut on you know sometimes he whispers them it's very creepy well, welcome, Lit Heads, to You Don't Know Lit, a weekly, or as we call it, strongly podcast, where every week I pick a theme or the Lit Heads pick a theme. And Ian and Joe, two high school English teachers, bring book recommendations. And just to upset one of them, we pick a winner. And it does upset us every <laughs> deeply time. Lit Heads. Yes. <laughs> And that's not a joke. I just really can't stress that enough. It really does bother them. <laughs> For a while at the beginning of the podcast, I wasn't winning anything. And mm-hmm. I was like kind of bummed. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. enough to make me want to stop the podcast. Right. But there was we all remember like, your losing streak in the beginning. Yeah, yes. I we're actually Ian has won so much lately that Joe I feel keeps like saying this. Should, I've won. I've won about two Jesus, out of you three. See what I'm so saying? Let's like, just shut the fuck up. Nobody cares. <laughs> I feel uh, like they nobody still cares. care a lot. They're betting. Didn't you hear they're betting? To on keep us on track. <laughs> I think rules. we should change the intro just to like work. We bring a theme and they compete. And Ian rule number wins. one, only unavoidable spoilers. Rule number two, shut the fuck up. Rule number three, <laughs> only winning matters. I think it's supposed to be shut the fuck up, Joe. 
Uh, and of course, we have our shadow rules. Things you need to do when trapped inside a car during a blizzard. One, stay inside the vehicle. Two, remain calm. Three, periodically examine your exhaust pipe, making sure it's not blocked by snow. And four, roll down a window one to two <laughs> inches. So uh, if we do end up hit by a blizzard in the course of this recording, I want you guys to remember that. And uh, really do check those exhaust pipes. That's good. Thank you, Ian. We'll keep that in mind. <laughs> Joe, you have 30 seconds to tell me what your book is about because i'm okay just to level set here the theme is trauma basically well the theme is a sudden traumatic event so something bad happens suddenly is that a book is that like a writing um like mechanic or something oh, like is it a genre like if you go to the the lmc at your local high school will you be like hey where's the traumatic event section <laughs> Well, I no. think okay. I think the idea, would, no. and, and Nick, I would have said no to that. I would have said no. That's not a genre to that question. And maybe these are the only two books that do this. But Esten has found two books that I'm guessing, based on what I know about Joe's book, and certainly with my book, they are. Um, they do. They like this is a thing where it's a thing out yeah. of a clear blue sky, trauma hits, mm-hmm. and like how do our our staunch heroes cope with it? Kind mm-hmm. of thing. It's weird. I don't see M. Night Shyamalan on this list of authors. Mm. The king of twists. Well, well no, because in, in Shyamalan, it's always like, it's never, it's never like things are good. Things are good for most of the book. And then boom, something bad happens. Uh, Joe, you have 30 seconds to tell me All what your right. book is about. Nick, on a quiet afternoon autumn in 1944, nine-year-old Morris Bird III, that's his name, that's how it's Sweet. said every single time that it's written, decides to visit a friend who lives on the other side of Cleveland. So he grabs a red hand, his uh, red wagon, grabs his little sister, and begins a pilgrimage across town. His journey happens to take place on a day of one of the greatest industrial disasters of all time. He doesn't know it's coming. We, the readers, do. And the result is surprisingly suspenseful. It's a great book. It feels like magic to have read it. It almost disappeared from the face of the earth. I'm awfully glad Eston suggested it. That's so cool. At least it was in North Dakota. Mm-hmm. You, blocks are longer in North Dakota. Like in Cleveland, you can walk 30 blocks. In North Dakota, that's just across the state. Yeah, yeah 30 blocks weird. is like 30 acres. A block is a block is an acre of farmland. Ian, you have 30 seconds. Owl, North Dakota, is a stereotypical Midwestern small town. We get to know it in my book through the eyes of three people. A lonely, out-of-town high school teacher, an oh. old local who drinks coffee, and the third-string quarterback on the local high school football team. Then a sudden snowstorm hits and we find out just how resilient these people and this town actually are. This week I read Downtown Owl by North Dakota's own Chuck Klosterman. So is it, it doesn't sound like it's too big of a big deal or spoiler to say what these events are. Right. So I mean, so how, how much are you ruining these books by saying, Hey, there's a big twist in like Joe. It's, it's not a twist. Like, yeah. so I think yep. Joe's book, Joe's book sounds like, you know, from the beginning, my book begins with uh, each chapter has like a, has like a heading with the date. My book begins with the a news story from the day after the disaster. So, and it describes a disaster. It's like killer blizzard wipes out 19 more concern, more, more, more thought to be missing. So like, this is a, this is a, not a, you, you know, it's coming. Yep. And and the exact same thing in my book, I didn't, mine doesn't start with a newspaper clipping, but from page six of this book, you know that the gas plant is going to explode in this book. Um, and it's only a matter of time. Um, we, we get like check-ins with the gas plant throughout this 200 page book. So every 30 pages or so they'll be like, Oh, this is what was happening with the gas plant right now, by the way. Um, and it really does feel like a, a time bomb. It feels like a ticking bomb that is about to go off. Uh, some stupid questions coming your way about fiction, nonfiction. Uh, uh, Love it. Yeah. What's happening? So my book is definitely a blend of the two. It's a totally fictional story. Like the characters are fictional. The events are fictional, except the Cleveland gas company explosion definitely happened. Like like it it really happened on the day that everything that this book takes place. Okay. Darn. Ian, what about your? So my situation. um, Positive event. Yeah. Um, Klosterman writes, he's mostly a nonfiction writer. Uh, this is, this was his first fiction book, but he builds the 
he, he models the storm in his book off of a historical storm that did sweep through out of a clear blue sky and kill a bunch of people. So, okay. So you have to like, use a little creativity. Yeah. I mean, like both of them are, both of them seem like this is, it's freaky how kind of like in sync these two books are. Mm-hmm. Eston, you've, you've, you've made a masterpiece here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, Joe. I'm ready. Are we, okay. are we referring to him now as blah, 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 That's how my students like refer to Joe me. Books. They're like, I have Mr. Holeshoe, you know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Nick, let me get the plot out of the way first because it's pretty simple. Um, there's a nine-year-old boy. In my book, he's the main character of my book. His name is Morris Bird III, and 85% of the screen time is devoted to Morris Bird. 85%? Yeah, like there's other stuff that happens in this book. There's a couple of parallel storylines that are going on, but like Morris Bird III is the star of this book. Okay, tell me about him. And is he like, what kind of a kid is he? Is he a piece of trash? Is he an idiot? Is he super cute? Is he nice? Is he innocent and adorable or is he wise beyond his ears? Well, he's he's not adorable. He's not a piece of trash, but he is a little bit wise beyond his years. Like okay. he okay. is kind of like the prototypical little boy. Like when you think of a nostalgic boyhood, Morris Bird III is what you are imagining. He is like a pretty good student, but he kind of hides the fact that he's a good student because it's not that cool to be a good student. You know, it just occurred to me that the tension in your books probably aren't what the event is. It's probably (laughs) does my character die in the event? (laughs) Okay. Sorry. That just clicked. Uh, Joe, please tell me about this nice young man. Yeah. So Morris Bird, the third year boy. And early in this book, he commits what you would, you or I would call like a minor act of cowardice um he gets a (laughs) he gets a rotten salami sandwich you're gonna say terrorism (laughs) (laughs) the minor act of larceny uh no a minor act of cowardice he gets a rotten salami sandwich he tries to give it away at school nobody will take it from him so he throws it over the fence it lands on his principal's car and his principal it like ruins the paint his principal gets really upset she calls a like uh oh what do you call it when you call all the kids to the auditorium to yell at them um Uh, a a really bad party yeah (laughs) an assembly (laughs) yeah an assembly thank you that's exactly it like we used to have assemblies where we would watch like jugglers and ping pong players this is a thing but she calls an assembly to yell at the students and to lecture them and to tell them if they were brave they would Mm -hmm. fess up to this and then Mm. she proceeds to have an informal two-week-long investigation to where she tries to suss out who put a salami sandwich on her car fine line between brave and stupid Um, morris bird the third keeps his mouth shut he does not own up to it there are no witnesses and he gets away with it not only that a different kid gets in trouble for it. Oh, Morris Bird the, Bird the Third feels terrible. Yeah, I bet. I feel bad. Be, I feel bad for him. Yeah, you feel bad for Morris Bird the Third, like on behalf of him. Yeah, like mm-hmm. that would suck to be. In it it sucks. And Morris Bird the Third, like he's a nice kid. He like he kind of made a mistake. Mm-hmm. He didn't sure want to get in trouble for then, it, man. But yeah, but he he messed up, and he feels terrible, and he feels like a coward. And then one day. Unrelated to this event, his teacher uh, gives a speech about bravery. World War II is happening right now. Uh, This takes place in 1944. She's talking about what it means to be a good person, what it means to be a brave person. And Morris Bird III decides to go on a heroic quest, a heroic journey, where he is going to walk across the city of Cleveland to visit his good buddy that just moved away. Is this too, is this too, like exorcise those demons and to prove to himself that he's a brave boy. It's to prove to himself that he can do it. Like he like his friend moved away. He's sad. His friend moved away. And in his head, being brave means I'm going to get my red wagon. I'm going to pack a lunch. I'm going to put all the money in the world I have in my pocket. And I'm going to go visit my friend who like was kind of a dorky, weird kid who had no other friends, who was sad to move away, etc. Yeah, this book does feel like there's just a lot going on, which seems kind of great, except for like all the bad stuff I'm sure we're going to talk about soon. Um, 
like really bad stuff. Uh, there, there must be a name. What, what is the name for this type of writing where you have real events and then fictional story? Titanic did it. What it uh, what that has a name? I mean, it's, it's like it's most basic. It is historical fiction. Got it. Okay. Yep. But but I, don't know, I, I think of that we should have known that much quicker. <laughs> Right, but it, but it feels different. When we think about historical fiction, we think about like people in period gowns and wearing swords and swashbuckling <laughs> and stuff. You yeah. know, uh, yeah, well, not Cleveland. Cleveland isn't historical fiction. Okay, Joe, well, I think you guys are just really ripping on other states on this episode for some well, reason. Cleveland is Ohio is okay. Like, <laughs> okay, object, okay. Oh. just leave the damn states. <laughs> I mean, I do Ohio think Cleveland is like there's on fire now. <laughs> Mm. Uh, okay, so great. We're glad Cleveland blew up. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking check. Good job, guys. Oh, Jesus Christ. I don't even know what we were talking about. Okay, historical fiction, uh, unless it's Cleveland. <laughs> Joe, <laughs> can you please tell remember, us? Leadheads, it's not historical fiction if it happens in Ohio. <laughs> <laughs> so. Joe, uh, yes. For for <laughs> I know about it, but for those who don't, <laughs> yeah, can you please tell us about this, uh, you know, incident that we're building up yeah. to. So, so, so this was a real event. This was a real event. So this is in 1944. It, it was an October day, and at the time, Cleveland was a uh, maybe still is. I'm not sure. It was a very industrial city, right? Like this is during World War II. Um, it is a city of industry. Times yep. are good. People have Smoke jobs. Stacks. There's over. Yep, it's smokestacks. Rock and roll Hall of Fame. You got it. Don't know if that was there yet. Don't know if rock and roll was a thing yet. Um, so not sure. Got it. But we'll look into it. There are, there is in Cleveland, like the way that all of these houses in Cleveland are powered is through the, um, the, the East Ohio gas company has this like innovative new mixture where they take natural gas, they compress it down to, I believe like a liquid form at ultra cool temperatures. Uh And it's this incredibly like efficient way to store and deliver natural gas to like this modern metropolis of Cleveland, Ohio. Hey Joe, this (laughs) sounds volatile. Oh, (laughs) Natural gas is incredibly stable in its liquid form, but if oh. one of those tanks would, for example, get a leak and start slowly emitting natural gas into the air oh, around it, no. or maybe leaking into the Cleveland sewer system um, where it could like gather in gaseous form, oh, no. it would be volatile. Oh man, nobody checks those. Huh? This has happened before. <laughs> yeah. So this something or or I guess since something very similar happened. In the town of, in the city of Bhopal in India, B-H-O-P-I-L, um, it's, it, this is, this is over 500,000 people were exposed to this poisonous gas. And I think they have like 10,000 people died in the, in the, Unreal. um, as, as a result of it, like plants leaking gas is no, ne- no, no. Yeah. <laughs> not That's a bad, listen, I'm going to take a strong stand right now here and now against gas leaks. Good. Thank you. So this was a real thing. Like the sewers of Cleveland filled up with gas. At a certain point, there's like five different gas towers. At a certain point, one of them exploded. And when it exploded, all the gas in the sewers lit up as well. The, um, manhole covers were launched as much as three miles away from where they were from, which is just Ooh, wild yeah. if you Ooh. think of it. That's it a destroyed, wild game of It destroyed on impact, like on explosion, it destroyed something like 80 houses in Cleveland, uh, which they counted just by the holes in the ground because the houses were totally gone. What is the year, Joe? 1944. This happened during World Uh, War II. uh, So how many people died? Uh, So not that many considering. Something like 160 people died um, and then a bunch more were injured and things like that. um, By today's standards. (laughs) By today's standards, right. Not that many people. (laughs) Yikes. This book ends with this gas company exploding. Um, And maybe other towers will explode. They don't exactly know, right? Like there's all this tension in the book. 
Yeah. Against that backdrop, um, I, I think actually Titanic is a really interesting story. Like a really interesting like thing to bring up here when you talk about this because Paralyzed, it's kind of similar. Yeah, yeah. tragic like, events. Yeah, we watch Titanic. We know how this ends. We know it's a tragic event, but we watch Leonardo DiCaprio and Kate Rose. Winslet? Rose, Rose, yeah. yep. Rose. Um, the whole time, like wanting to know what their story is against this backdrop. That is what this book is. Like Morris Bird the Third is the driver of this story, and you want to see him as he goes on this historic quest, this pilgrimage, this kind of odyssey uh, through the streets of Cleveland, pulling his little red wagon with his little sister in tow. Adorable. But like as Morris Bird the Third goes across Cleveland, like he encounters things, like he encounters his own trials, his own monsters, his own cyclops and rocks and hard places and all these things um, that would feel very real and very dangerous to a nine-year-old kid on his own in a city. Like at one point, there's a spelling bee in this book and a spelling bee is good, clean fun, but this spelling bee is like a high stakes spelling bee in this book. It feels genuinely dramatic. Um, at us at another point, he, hold on. What what are the stakes? Uh, death. The stakes are death. (laughs) Okay. Death. (laughs) We'll just leave it at that. No, the stakes are his good buddy is in the spelling bee finals. And everybody knows that his good buddy is like the best speller in the school and a brain. And he's really weird and people don't really like him, but he's playing against a girl who's just a little know-it-all that people really don't like. You want to punk her. Just, just, just punk her. And all of a sudden the whole school unites behind his Good to buddy. bully the little girl. Good to okay. bully the little girl. It's 1944 uh, Cleveland. This is progressive stuff. Yeah, she had it coming. <laughs> uh, Joe, it sounds like this book kind of, as you're describing it, it sounds like it puts us in the in the shoes of no uh, no cleverness intended. It puts us in the shoes of Morris Burner the third. Yeah, it, it does. You're like you are in the shoes of Morris Bird the Third. And one of the things I like about this book, it, it this is the thing that I think it's such a great recommendation from Aston. I am I, maybe we all are, but I think I am maybe especially. I'm very nostalgic for like my boyhood. Like mm. when I think of being a good boyhood on the farm. Yeah, I, I had I was on the farm. I had a lot of freedom. People left me the f alone. Right? Like they let you tell your stories. They let me tell right. my stories. No well, that's what, I was farm. still making the stories then. Um, but yeah, like I had this really kind of idyllic boyhood, idyllic. and yeah. and Morris Bird the Third has kind of a great boyhood. Like he looks at this world of Cleveland. This Please world stop with saying boyhood. <laughs> childhood. Um, better he 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 has this childhood that's really kind of wonderful right like it's kind of interesting he lives very much in kid world his kid problems feel like real like problems to him right like because we see them through his eyes and this book one of the tricks it pulls off one of the pieces of magic of this book is morris bird the third gets into kid trouble like he lives in kid world and gets into kid trouble he is heading toward adult problems like he's heading towards a disaster like where people die and people are burned and people are maimed and at a certain point like those two worlds are going to run into each other and you see Morris Bird the third, this kid who you have really fallen in love with, a kid who you admire, a kid who is interesting, who has been your eyes for 1944 Cleveland. You see him deal with adult world all of a sudden. And the question is, is, OK, Morris Bird the third, how brave are you? But she's not very brave. He seems like a coward. It seems like a yellow-bellied skunk. <laughs> like this is really interesting, though, Joe, because like we talk about science fiction and fantasy as adopting a different perspective on familiar uh, a di- like a di- different viewpoint on familiar things, a familiar our familiar world, which makes which makes them seem other. They means makes them fe- seem very different. And the 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 like kids are short for this example. Like yeah, looking at the world from the height of a nine year old, it's almost like it's almost like it sounds almost fantastical. Almost like um this this kids view is different enough from the way we might look at a natural disaster or, or an, mm-hmm. a man-made industrial disaster 
that it becomes something genre, something like fantasy or, or science fiction. No, it, it, it totally is, right? And I've seen other books that do this, like kind of adopt a childhood narrator, a child narrator, and they put them in like adult situations or like scary situations. Um, a book that we've not had on the show, but Ian and I have talked about um, extremely loud and incredibly close. Jonathan Saffron 4 does this, where it's like uh, probably a nine-year-old boy dealing with the aftermath of 9-11. Right. When you right. read this book, like, one of the things that I kept thinking when I read this book, um, The Greatest Thing Since Sliced Bread, is that if there wasn't a natural disaster, or not a natural disaster, if there wasn't a man-made disaster at the end of this book, it could almost be a YA novel, right? Like, it could almost be young adult. We're like, the, all of his other problems are kid problems, right? Like, all, like, his journey is very brave in the way that, like, a kid can be brave. Um, there's a version of this book out there that is like for middle grade readers. There's a version of this book out there that's for young adult readers. But boy, when that gas company goes up, things get real serious. Wait, what are do you, you saying? There's this a version out there. When, when, I, yeah. I, uh, in, in, uh, in the multiverse, there's a version oh, of this okay, book. Okay, okay, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. At what I point understand. does it turn adult? Is this like halfway through? Is this like, like last couple, like, pages last go at it or is this it turns adult so so basically what at what point does the candle go off right um the gas company explodes 80 percent of the way through this book right like this book is when does it explode the other 20 (laughs) percent This, yeah, the gas company explodes at the 80% mark in this book. Like before that, we, it's Ian, ominous. We know humor? it's going to, um, but like that's when everything happens and Morris Bird has to kind of like prove his, his metal. I, I think this book is going to stick with me. You know, like, right. like some books kind of come and go. This book yeah. feels like one that sticks to your ribs. Yeah. One that you come back to. So, so I was uh, scrolling book Twitter uh, over the weekend, I guess, and ran across this tweet um, from at Sam Sykes swears, uh, talking about starting your story with action. He says, this is common advice. If an audience is bored, they'll go find something else to read. But a lot of opening actions, action sequences are often still dull because I have no idea who the character is, yeah. which is frustrating. And uh, I found it through Pat, Patrick Rothfuss, um, uh, fan of the friend of the show, not a fan, yeah. um, not a fan. And, and his comment is action without context is just noise. Sound and fury signifying nothing. And, it reminded me in in um, in uh, the name of the wind, the name of the wind, right? Yeah, and in the name of the wind, like the way that Rothfuss begins his awesome story is not like a, a knock knock him down, drag him out fight. No. It's get to know these people, and yeah, I think it's really it's, slow at the beginning. Like, it's, it's really, really interesting. Like, like yeah. you, Joe, your book and my book too. It says, "Hey, you're gonna get that action, but first you need to know these people in yeah. order for you to care about them." When the action hits, if that book, if this book had started with the explosion, you'd be like, oh, no, a little kid got in the fires. Dang it. Yeah. So I loved it. The only other thing I would say about it is it's a book that mostly fell off the face of the planet. Um, This guy, uh, my writer, I'm sorry, uh, Don Robertson, published quite a bit through like the 60s continued publishing until the 80s, but by the end of his career wasn't really that widely read. Um, One of his last novels was published by Stephen King purely because Stephen King was a big fan of his work, right? Like he had really deviated away from like his beloved books, but like Stephen King loved him, um, published one of his last novels. And after his death in, I think, 1999, his books mostly went out of print, right? Like this book was really, really hard to find a copy of. It's just now within the last, oh, six, seven years that Don Robertson is being rediscovered a little bit. Some of it, he's written like 17 books and like three of them are back in print at this point. So one of the things I really loved about reading this book is it felt like a book that I very easily could not have Mm -hmm. read, right? And it did feel like, like because it feels like has this air of discovery about it. It felt like a, it felt like a little bit magic to read it. And I'm really, really glad I did. Gentlemen, we haven't uh, talked about the, uh, some New York times bestsellers in a while. You hear about this New York times bestsellers buzz, buzz. buzz. (laughs) Yeah. Let's read some buzzy bestsellers this week. I would, I would love to um, pick up, Stephen King never met a word he couldn't put in his books. That didn't come out right. 
Stephen King hates editors. That's the joke. Anyway, he has a super long book called Fairy Tale Out. Uh, I'm excited to read it because it's gotten some really good press, some really good reviews, and it it is in its third week on the New York Times bestseller list. So I'll be reading Fa- Stephen King's new book, Fairy Tale. I love it. And I'm going to be reading the book that I've seen all over the place. I know almost nothing about. It's Jeanette McCurdy's I'm Glad My Mom Died. And it is a buzzy, buzzy bestseller. I have my high school students reading this book. With uh, Um, with a title like that, you can't go wrong, right? I'm Glad My Mom Died. That's a really good title. Save that for Mother's Day. (laughs) Holy (laughs) shit. Uh, the story begins with, with a catastrophe. Um, so you know what's going to happen. <laughs> As I mentioned, Great. there's this, the first, like the first chapter of the book is a news article dated February 5th, 1984. And it's describing a killer blizzard. And then we flash back to August of 1983. And it pretty quickly becomes clear that we're going to learn about this town, which is hit by this blizzard through the perspective of some of its inhabitants. So there are three main characters that with three main point of view characters, um, there are a lot of colorful characters in this in this story. There are a few wacky shenanigans, but there's oh, a lot okay. more sort of missed connections, bad decisions, disappointment, regret. Um, uh, as far as like everybody's favorite things you've hitting, listed, hitting my Popular uh, uh, checking my boxes. Eston got wow. this exactly right. This book is a bit of a downer, um, a bit nihilistic, and I think that's yeah. amazing. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, uh, um, for the record, I'd like to step in here and say that my book is kind hearted and reaffirms my faith in humanity. So I think it might be the presenters who are sharing the words, <laughs> the words that are coming out. I think selected I think by you both. There is some like some of the eye of the beholder because probably someone could read Joe's book to be like, wow, this is pretty grim that this child has to deal with this stuff. Then like, I, I don't want to sell my book short. It's not all down. Like there is a moment of some of the, some of the most like beautifully described triumph, like the triumph of human strength at the end of this book. I'm not going to spoil it, but like there is, there is a passage. There's a chapter where a man is drinking tomato soup and it's the most victorious tomato soup ever. And it's beautiful. Mm. It's incredible. It's like, it's it's so a gazpacho or uh no, no it's, it's like a creamy it's a tomato soup. it's a hot tomato like soup. a creamy tomato yeah. okay he's well, like dips a grilled cheese sandwich yeah. in it uh we mentioned like there's like a ship so i don't know maybe they're like sailing around in the gulf of mexico where no, north dakota is your book ian yeah what tell us pl- give us some plots okay okay so um Throughout the we, we we start kind of the book starts the book's action starts with the beginning of the school year. And so two of our our characters are connected to our main, main point of view characters are connected to this, the high, local high school. Um, one, uh, Julia, she is this is her first year teaching out of college. She went to UW Milwaukee um, and she needed a job. And so she took a job here. That's and, where we're from. Yeah. No, Wait, right? Yeah. Didn't you guys go to UW? Nick, where did you go no. to school? What's her name? Yeah, (laughs) I think you guys might not quite have matched up. Um, So she's she's not from around here. That's her thing. Um, She Mm -hmm. and she's very lonely because the town of Owl, (laughs) North Dakota, has 850 people and small. um, Right. It's it's not a big town. So she is one of our characters and we get to see her kind of like trying to integrate. And she meets um, a bunch of really awkward single guys who are very well-meaning, very nice, but like she doesn't want, she doesn't want to have a relationship with them and settle down there. So like her story unfolds. How is like, what is her place in this strange town? Um, there's also, there's another uh, school related character. This is the third string quarterback of the local high school. His name is Mitch. Um, and Mitch is disaffected. He's sleepy all the time. Fantasizes about murdering his football coach because the football coach abuses him like oh, screams no, at him God. and stuff and so he like has yeah. these vivid fantasies about like how he would get even with the coach um if, if you've seen a little show i like to call game of thrones um it takes different points of view and we get a larger sense of the whole story by having different and specifically separate points of view got um, it these characters don't cross paths much it's not like they all kind of come together it's like the uh, julia's track is her own track and mitch's track is kind of a separate track and the third guy uh, this is an old guy local i uh, and uh, loves to go to the go to the coffee shop with his his friends at three o'clock in the afternoon and 
drink coffee and talk about the war and talk about high school football. Um, his name is Horace and Horace has his own track. Like he's got kind of his own. Yeah. So there's a larger story, right? That yeah, they're, he's got his own life, but I bet they, I bet they touch briefly. Like I bet they like, like the girl comes into the coffee I, shop. And I'm like struggling. They, I don't really? know if they ever have a point of narrative contact beyond oh, all, okay. beyond all living in this small towns. So like mm, they see each other. Yeah. Um, they both shop at, they all shop at the Piggly Wiggly. The goal of this kind of tripartite narrative strain is to get a broader sense of different levels of this community. And so we get a really good sense, like an old timer sense um, with, with Horace who is like hanging out. They have all their, like the same conversations every day at 3 PM. They talk about the same things. Um, if you've ever been to like a small town cafe, you see those old kind of crusty farmer types and they just drinking the, the, the diner coffee. Well, and, and if you've ever been to the whole shoe farm, uh, you can wit- also witness the same thing. I've had just a quick farm story for you. Like I, oh, I like to share. Farm story. Story. Yeah, yeah, story. Love it, do it. Um, you can sit in the kitchen and the door is just open and every day, it, almost the exact same time, the same people will come through to have the exact same conversation with, you, with <laughs> Joe's dad. Uh, yeah. just people around the neighborhood, just stopping in to say hi. I do think my dad is like, I think he's a stop. Like he's a stop for people. Like they go to the gas station, oh, yeah. they go and get a cup of coffee right. and, and then they, they wouldn't miss they that. Stop right? by Larry. Like yep. he is part of their, their routine. And, and, and for Horace, this is the same way. The cafe is like, um, this is his, his, the thing that, that, um, orients him in the world. So all of these characters are affected by the catastrophe. I'm not going to tell you how, because that would be a spoiler, but all of them are affected by the catastrophe, the, the, the blizzard at the end. But in order for that to mean anything, in order for their struggles with nature to mean anything, we have to know them. We have to know like Julia's hopes and dreams. We have to understand yeah. like how Mitch feels about the world that he lives in. You, Nick, you ask like there's got to be a larger story. The larger story is that this is a town that where nothing ever changes. This is a town which doesn't get hit by tragedy. This is a town where things kind of stay the same. Yet. 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 Right. <laughs> and we know we ha- we're in this privileged position that things are going to change. We ha- we've read this this opening news clipping, which talks about it. We know that 19 people are going to die. We don't know if our main characters are going to die. We don't know if side characters are going to die. There are some characters as the novel progresses. We hope they die. There are other characters. <laughs> <where> like- <laughs> Maybe for a gambling app, we could uh, just do some like live time. Will this character die? And then like the yeah, listeners could it. like, I you love know. It vote in hey joe just a quick sidebar did you notice how short that farm story was it's really good <laughs> i don't know amazing. i feel like you missed a lot of detail you, like you sort of talked about you sort of talked about chuck and how he had like how uh-huh. he like smoked cigarettes for 60 years and then started chewing tobacco because right, he decided right. that smoking wasn't good for him you sort of talked about don brockman and his weird toenails like i feel like weird you missed toenails. a lot of evocative details that's you know, that's probably true, right, Joe? That's I, that's why I got to leave it to the professionals. <laughs> you got to leave it to Joe. <laughs> Ian, tell us about this catastrophe. Um, well, I'm going to tell you. Okay. So I, ni- only 19 people. Well, that's, yep. so, the, so the story is like, it goes to press the day after and it's like 19 people are confirmed dead. Many more are potentially missing, but that's not really like, that's not really the, the, the focus of the story because you know, it's going to happen. It's almost a foregone conclusion. Yeah. There, there's like actually a counting clock in your story. Like as a kind yeah. of, yeah, it's like, it's like in, in the, the, the TV show 24, when you had that little counter <laughs> on the bottom, like yeah. Uh, yeah. with Jack Bauer, was that the one with Jack, yeah, Bauer? Jack Bauer, classic power in that one? One of the, one Keep of the, one too. of the famous, most famous <laughs> powers. Um, I would say, so the catastrophe in this book is less, less the deadly blizzard and more kind of what happens to you as you read it, because this, this town matches what I'm going to call I'm going to introduce a new a new uh, segment here called trope. Oh, wow. Trope of the week. Um, oh, so wow. I'm going to I'm going <laughs> to highlight I'm going to highlight a trope in uh, in in books and in fiction or in writing. Um, mm-hmm. And this week's trope trope of the week is the town with a dark secret. So this town, oh. that's a this good town one. has a dark secret. And then we were talking about Stephen King. He does this a lot. And plenty of other, other people do this too. But oftentimes with King and with others, the dark secret is supernatural. For this town, it's 
sorry to it's bore racism. you. It's racism. It's racism. No, no, it's not racism. It's okay. more broad and more kind of a, even more of a downer than that. The dark secret here is that, you know, they've got that kind of, that kind of Midwest nice thing going on. Everyone talks about, oh, like it's everyone. Oh, folks wave at you as you drive along. Everyone knows everyone's name. There, Everyone has these kind of cute nicknames that are funny and, and weird but the dark secret here is that people are human and humans are gross. Humans drink too much. They commit statutory rape. They imagine murdering their teachers. They idolize the wrong people. They ignore the good ones. Like these people are like, we learn, yeah, they, these are dreadful people. Like a lot of them are dreadful people. And even the good ones are, are imperfect. They're stupid. They're shallow. They're vain. This is like, so we were talking about how creepy these recommendations are like, this this confirms my beliefs about humanity. Like this is a book which says, yeah, when you leave, when you when you really look at people, everyone's got some skeletons in their closet. Didn't answer the question. I really want to hear about what this story. How what, oh, what oh, was it? I mean, generally, basically. So, sorry, I, I didn't didn't understand the question. Yeah, I guess basically the 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 storm that happened was um, a, a powerful wind uh, system developed in British Columbia. Um, uh, Sorry, Alberta, Canada called and it's called an Alberta Clipper. Um, that's the name for this weather pattern. Wait. And it blasted through out of Canada, hit North Dakota, um, kind of developed like blizzard uh, uh, tendencies along the way, picked up some moisture. Uh, the wind was so strong. It was like 55 to 85 miles an hour. People couldn't stand up and walk. Is that where the Clippers get their name from? I just it's thought not. they were hair cutters or no, something. No, it's not. It's a ship. It's a ship thing. Merchant it's a sailing <laughs> no, ship. it's hair cutters. I you thought it was it. like the Packers. They used to pack cheese. No, nope. you know. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's um, where? that there were barbers originally. That's fast. Yeah, I didn't catch what year is this? Like, do we know the like when this happened? Um, you do. You have dates all the way through. Well, the story takes place in 85. 84, 85. Sorry, 83, 84. Um, I'm not sure when the storm itself happened, but sure. I feel like North Dakota, like when I think of massive snowstorms and we get and we get big snowstorms in Wisconsin, like we've seen some big ones. But like when you think of massive ones, there's pictures of like snow up to the top of telephone poles in North Dakota. Like there's like insane, like 40 foot snow drift stuff. Yeah. And then this one. So this this one didn't have a ton of snow, but what it had was um uh, a, like a lot of wind and a, a change in temperature from, oh, uh, like 45 degrees above zero to like 30 be- degrees below. Oh my God. And so people are outside, you know, it's think- these idiots, these North Dakota idiots are outside in short sleeves because it's 45 out, you know, like it's just practically right. a warm summer's day in mm-hmm. February. And then, and then it hits. And, uh, the description is just, the, the description is beautiful. Like, beautiful and weird and a little bit funny and mostly horrifying. He has a whole kind of bite-sized chapter about what it was like to be outside when you were hit, when that storm hit. And it's just, Oh, oh it's God. so, so good. I feel like you should let it sink in for a little while because I think there's probably lit out there right now who are realizing for the first time that negative 30 degrees is an actual temperature that it can get. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. That's a, that's a change of, that's a change of 75 degrees. So you've got this, you've got this kind of like flashy storm, you know, it's coming. You're wondering, you know, what's going to happen to our main characters by the time the storm hits, you're pretty well disillusioned. Like you, you kind of feel like maybe it's not such a tragedy with this town anymore. Um, oh God. <laughs> you're like, well, they have it coming. Ian, did you even like this book? It sounds like you hate it. I adored this book. <laughs> okay. I now, this is the sort of stuff that makes like, Ian come alive. This book this book is one that I've, I've said before. One of the benchmarks I, I I have for books is like, I, I know I like it. If it gives me goosebumps, I know I like it. If I immediately start thinking, how can I teach this? So I have a couple of reasons why I like it. And the first, the first is the dark humor. This is kind of like, um, there's a film, a little, like a little, not very well-known film from the 1990s entitled Fargo. Not so sure about your police work there. <laughs> so one of the beauties of, of Fargo as a film and, and the, the TV show that spun off as well is the dark humor. And this is a really, a really funny book in a very dark way. So I'm going to read you guys a quote. I'm not going to describe it because that never works. But I'm going to read you a quote. This is from early in the book. Uh, Julia, our, our history teacher, is talking to the principal of the school and he's just filling her in on the town. Um, and he's got a very kind of positive outlook on the town. She's already realizing that she's made a terrible mistake. 
Um, so he's telling her what's going on. He says, you've probably she misses Milwaukee. She misses Milwaukee. She does actually. <laughs> he says, you've probably heard that the movie theater is going to close. And I'm afraid that's true. It is closing, but the bowling alley is thriving. It's probably the best bowling alley in the region. I honestly believe that by chance, Julia did enjoy bowling. However, when the most positive detail about your new home is that the bowling alley is thriving, you have to like bowling a lot in order to stave off depression. <laughs> and right now, in the middle of this conversation, Julia was more depressed than she had ever been in her entire 23-year existence. <laughs> As she sat in Walter Valentine's office, she felt herself wanting to take a nap on the floor, but she, of course, did not do this. She just looked at him, <laughs> nodding and half-smiling. She could always sleep later after she finished crying. It's yeah, just, great. It's wry. It's... It moves. It's it's really fun. It's really, really funny. You know, it, it's the one thing I'm struck by in both of our books is that, yes, we have these like sudden traumatic events, right? Like these sudden traumatic disasters. But the fact that both of them, like neither one of them come out of thin air. In fact, both of them are not just heavily foreshadowed. I mean, they're they, we are told right the, in the beginning pages of our books. Like, hey, just so you know, this book ends with a tremendous disaster. Right. When does your blizzard happen, Ian? Like, mine happens very late in my book. Uh, it's it's ninety percent of the way into the book. Yeah, it's it's wild, <laughs> and like that is so. Like, I couldn't believe how effective I found that as a narrative device. Where it's yeah, like, yeah. It, it, it literally is like the clicking, t- uh, like the the counting down clock in the Jack Bauer uh, twenty four is what it's called, oh, that's right? Good. Like, it's like, you know, something bad is going to happen. You like, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. The whole world is able to exist here. But like, just that extra tension that that disaster gives is it just sharpens things. Like, it makes it interesting. It feels like things are, there's stakes for these things. Yeah. And not to get weird, but like, I also think it's kind of like, like, we all know we're going to die at the end of our life. And it's kind of what makes life sweet. Right. And it's like we have this our own ticking clocks going on. Right. I don't like clocks. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you're going to die, Nick. I think you should deal with it. (sighs) So there is no part of this book that is not inexorably sort of irresistibly pulling you towards what happens in this blizzard. And like what happens I, I'm not going to spoil it. It's dramatic. There is it is absolutely worth waiting 90% of this. So the book is 275 pages long. So you end up waiting about 250, 245 pages to get to this. It is so, so worth it. Um, he has this way of kind of tossing little tidbits that foreshadow the story, foreshadow where it's going. And we know that there's a catastrophe coming, but we don't know whether these people we, we care about, despite all their flaws and foibles, are going to make it. Yeah, oh, man, it's so good. I love this. I, I think um, it's it's perfect for me. It's funny. It's thought provoking. It's going to stick with me. Um, it's a bit of a downer. I love small town Midwest stories. Always a plus. Um, this this is a book <laughs> that makes me want to read show. everything else he's written. Chuck Klosterman yeah. is um, uh, uh, he's written for a, a variety of of, um, of publications like Esquire and ESPN.com. And, and he used to work right for Grantland. I'm not sure where this book ranks on my all time list. When I read Lonesome Dove, I said this is like top five. Um, this is not that high, but it's in the top 20 for sure. Maybe top 10. It's really, really good. And it's the kind of thing that I struggle to tell people about. Like I struggle to explain it, but I desperately want people that I care about to read this because it's so, (laughs) so good. So well, like well constructed. Gentlemen, welcome to Tiffany's A Safe Place. Is there anything (laughs) negative you'd like to tell me about your books? It won't be held against you in a court of Nick. In a court of Nick. Um, I'll I'll say, I'll reiterate what I said before, that I am disappointed that I can't teach this. Um, I can't, I can't teach it to, okay. I don't need backhanded compliments. That no, no, I'm like, serious. I'm, like, I'm serious. I'm like, too perfect. I think what I hate most about this is how much I can't read it again for the first time. <laughs> no, no, seriously. Like, like the book, the book has like some pretty, some pretty intense scenes of like abuse that I'm not going to uh, expose my students okay. to. All and right. I, so you loved it immediately <laughs> on your top 10 list. Joe, anything? Um, you know, I did have something when I was reading it. Like I was thinking about Tiffany's as I was, as I was reading this thing, it escapes me at the moment. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, shoot. Oh, I, I really had something. Like, before, oh, I'm, right my show I'm like, oh, hey. dang, Tiffany's, Tiffany's, Tiffany's. Nick, this segment is going really well. This is tough because, Joe, you you sold your book very well. But, Ian, uh, I, I definitely wasn't going to pick. I definitely wasn't thinking about even picking you at all. But when you read that quote, that was pretty funny. It's a pretty good quote. Yeah, yeah that was really good. good. Um, yeah. not, not, you know, allowed on the show really to be reading quotes, you know. So that's tricky. But it did get <laughs> it did get me. I got you. Um Joe, you lose. Uh, I would like to take this moment to lodge a formal complaint. I feel like right. Ian sneaks in a lot of quotes. He has a lot of sneaky quotes in his, in it his was uh, presentations. Sneaky. I've but realized to be I'm fair, as, there's no rule about not being sneaky. That's true. true. In fact, maybe being sneaky is good. I realized that Joe is a lot better at talking about um, about style than I am. I can't put style into into my own words. I think you're both great and you have both good qualities about talking Thank you. about I books, appreciate guys. that. Oh. <laughs> All right. All right. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I think I, I do the lit heads, yes, right? Yes, you do. I'm yeah, because you lost, okay. you fucking lit loser. Heads. <laughs> lit heads. Um, tell a bookish friend, rate, review, subscribe, do all of those things. Um, I'd also just like to take a moment to thank Aston. Yes. Um, Ian and I talked Man. a little bit about this off camera or off off mic, I guess. So creepy. Um, this really is. We we really love our lit head recommendations. I if we've done one of your lit head recommendations before, I don't want to hurt your feelings right now, but Aston, man, you nailed it. Crushed like, it. You this absolutely is, nailed this it. This isn't just a home run. This is like a grand slam home run in the seventh game of the world series. That's exactly it. Wow. Like, and it was absolutely awesome. So Aston, thank you so much. I'm so dang glad I read this book. I don't, I'm not even that pissed about losing. Um, lit heads, um, head on over to, you don't know, lit podcast.com. See if you can beat Aston's yeah, recommendation. Do it. do it. Good luck. Idiots. <laughs> Good um, luck. <laughs> Better try hard. <laughs> Better submit a lot of them and tell lots of friends. Yeah. So see if you can beat Aston's recommendation. Um, after that, like, subscribe. Uh, the best thing you can do for the show is tell a bookish friend. And congratulations, Ian. All right. Um, every 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 passage, every chapter in this book is told from the point of view of one of its characters, except this chapter, which I'm going to read you. Um, the date heading is February 4, 1984, 3.12 p.m. People always want to know what it was like. Well, this is what it was like. It was like being hit by something heavy and flat and wide and vast and fast. It was like a massive human hand sweeping across a relief map of North Dakota, knocking cars off the highway and cattle off their hooves. It was like falling asleep on a beach near Diamond Head and waking up inside an industrial meat freezer. It was like standing eight inches from a moving freight train, which is how people typically describe the sound of tornadoes. So it was like standing next to a freight train during a tornado. It was like keeping your eyes open while submerging your head in a 50-gallon drum of white latex paint. It was like being inside the film footage from the atomic bomb tests off the Bikini Atoll that would later be used in MTV videos by white New York hip-hop artists. <laughs> it was like being swept 40 feet below sea level by a 25-foot wave when all compass directions become interchangeable and there is no difference between up or down. It was like inhaling frozen granules of cocaine and glass but not being able to expel them. It was like standing up very quickly and hitting the back of your head against an oak beam that had materialized out of nothingness. It was like filling the nozzle of a hairdryer with dry ice, holding it one centimeter from your retina and plugging it into an electrical socket. It was like suddenly remembering that you'd completely forgotten to do something very, very important. It was like being Helen Keller in Greenland, naked. It was like being with everyone and then being with no one. <laughs> <laughs>